0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Manchester Historian podcast.
1: Make sure to be following the Manchester Historian on all of our social media. That's Twitter, Instagram and Facebook to keep up with all of our news.
0: Hello, I'm Wolf Kenning and welcome to the Manchester Historian podcast. In her obituary in the New York Times, Rachel Carson was referred to as the essence of gentle scholarship. Born in Pennsylvania in 1907, Her life's works as a prolific author, biologist and conservationist, as well as her seminal text, Silent Spring, accredited with advancing the global environmental movement. I'm joined today by Molly Ramos, a third year student and head of the Manchester Historian Online team, whose article on the life of Rachel Carson will be featuring in issue 32, titled Religion, Culture and Environment. Thank you for coming. Firstly, I just want to ask, when did you first become acquainted with Rachel Carson?
1: So my mum actually bought me her book Silent Spring for Christmas a few years ago um, and I'm now writing my dissertation on it so I've become a lot more acquainted with her work over the past few months okay.
0: um, So tell us a little bit about her early life then
1: She was born in 1907 and worked as a marine biologist for a large portion of her life Um, before she kind of started working on things to do with pesticides and um, like the agricultural environment. Um, And yeah, so she worked as a marine biologist for many years before publishing Silent Spring, but at the same time as her doing that, she was always interested in the effects of pesticides um, on the environment and on people as well and how a lot of the information regarding their effects on humans wasn't really published, so her work focuses a lot around that and just making sure the public have the information that they should be allowed to make their own decisions about these kind of things.
0: Um, Let's talk about her most famous work, Silent Spring. What exactly does this book deal with why is it now associated as sort of Carson's legacy?
1: Her work on Silent Spring came about through her ongoing and extensive research on the effects of DDT which was a pesticide that's now illegal in the US um, and other highly toxic chemicals that were used as pesticides. Um, she'd been following the use of these pesticides for many years and then was inspired to compile all her research into a book um which contained information that she had attempted to publish previously but no one was really interested in it so the way that she published this information was done in such a way that it brought these concerns to the forefront of american consciousness because her skills as a writer as well as a scientist combined to make her work very effective so that people who don't have a science background can understand the stuff that she's talking about which is why it became so popular.
0: Have you found that to be the case yourself? Are you now quite au fait with chemicals even though you're more Uh, of a (laughs) humanities student?
1: I mean I definitely have a better understanding of that kind of thing now because I'm an American studies student and I don't have a science background at all But I didn't find it difficult to understand what she was saying, and that was literally the point of her work so that everyone could understand rather than just a select few people, so that people were able to decide for themselves whether they want to use these chemicals and things like that.
0: You mentioned at the start you've started work on Rachel Carson.
1: What are you looking at? So, I am looking at Rachel Carson's work in terms of um, eco-feminism, so I'm kind of comparing her work to more recent, um, actually fictional works on the environment and how that intersects with feminist ideology, Um, because... When Carson worked as a marine biologist she was, I believe, only one of two women in the place that she worked and she never actually brings up her gender in Silent Spring at all. It's not something that she discusses but um, in my dissertation I talk about how that was probably a conscious decision because a lot of people attempted to discredit her work anyway and i think that some of the reason for that was because she was a woman so
0: so she's made a conscious decision to step away from her gender in order to be accepted into the biologists sphere
1: yeah i mean because being a woman in science was very rare in that period that she was working in anyway so in order to have her work taken more seriously she didn't really have the opportunity, I believe, to combine it with gender issues, even though they do intersect in quite a lot of ways.
0: Is there, you are there any other contemporaries who are sort of developing that ecofeminist legacy of Carson that you're looking at?
1: Um, so I, in my dissertation, I'm looking at um, Barbara Kingsolver's work, which is fictional but deals a lot with. Um, like climate change issues and how they also relate to gender issues at the same time um, yeah
0: that's the interesting thing with Silent Spring is that it is in fact a novel Um, could you explain to us how in fact a novel um, has been translated into a scientific sphere that has then gained such significant social status as well
1: Yeah, so, Silent Spring was published as a non-fiction novel, so it's not- it is intended to be taken as scientifically true, um, but she does combine it with fictional aspects. The first chapter of the book is kind of- it's almost like a biblical metaphor for how the world will look if we- as humans don't kind of heed her advice in realising the negative effects of a lot of our actions. So she, yeah, she uses her skills as a writer to, I guess, not exaggerate the science of what she's writing, but...
0: Sort of highlighting the sort of dystopian elements of society now.
1: Definitely. So the first chapter is fictional, but after that she sets it out in a number of different parts that deal with different chemicals. Um, so she separates it in terms of that and specific examples that she's worked on that deal with the effects of those chemicals that give the public more information on them.
0: Her direct legacy as well was you know, in the Nixon administration. They created uh, the Environmental Protection Agency four years after her death Um, but I'm aware that since the inception of the EPA uh, the Competitive Enterprise Institute has lobbied vehemently against Rachel Carson's work as it poses a direct threat to their libertarian economic values Um, and this is seen most notably in their 2012 publication titled Rachel was wrong I know that especially in America these libertarian economic values, especially in the 70s and 80s, are quite predominant thoughts that live on to this day. Do you think that in the present age there's a need to revive um, Carson's work to expose the role corporations and free marketers have in the deterioration of the planet?
1: I definitely do think so, Um, especially in the past three years. During the Trump administration, he has almost completely eradicated climate change as a major issue, um, and on the EPA website, they've removed almost all of their stuff on how they're dealing with climate change because he, Trump, doesn't see it as something that needs an immediate solution or attempt at rectifying our actions. Um, So, yeah, I definitely do believe that um, there is a need for a revival of Carson's work or for other scientists now to kind of come forward in the same way that she did and produce information that is easy for the public to understand, because I think that that sometimes is an issue as to why some people aren't really interested in the effects of climate change, because it is hard to understand if you don't have a scientific background. Um, And I mean, this might not be the best example, but you see Donald Trump tweeting about how it's cold. So where's global warming? And like, that's not obviously actually how it works. Um, So I think just encouraging more discussion around this kind of thing would definitely be helpful going forward.
0: You mentioned about how uh, the Trump administration are potentially, with their attitudes towards climate change, hindering the progress um, of preserving the environment. Could you you elaborate on that in respect to, you know, Rachel Carson and her anti-corporation ideas?
1: Yeah, so the Trump administration isn't helping any work towards conserving the environment, in my opinion, in a very literal sense, because he doesn't see climate change as a major issue. Um, in the US or in the rest of the world it's not something that he focuses on at all Um, and he's said on multiple occasions about how it could be a conspiracy or how it's just not even true Um, but as well the attitudes that he and his administration embody kind of this like American individualism that has always been around but he really enforces that obviously in this extremely powerful position um and how it's just this idea that you have to look after yourself and you're only responsible for yourself there isn't a collective responsibility that he encourages um so i think that takes away from a lot of environmental work especially if you think about what the causes of climate change are it's difficult to separate climate change from like a capitalist economic system and how that in itself perpetuates the effects of it. So these kind of attitudes that he embodies definitely makes it worse. So if, for example, everyone knows about the ban on plastic straws, um, which in itself isn't a bad idea, but the percentage that plastic straws make up of all the litter in the ocean and pollution is so small that it really isn't making a difference towards an overall problem um, or solution. So I think that that is an attempt to do something that's as a distraction for the public to make it seem like something's being done when It's really not that effective.
0: Thank you for joining us, Molly. We had a great discussion. Uh, Good luck on your dissertation, and we hope to hear from you again soon.
1: Thank you for having me.